Well, good morning, folks. How are you today? Good to see you. You look fantastic today. Maybe raining outside, but you look marvelous. Why don't you turn to someone and say, you're looking really good for a rainy day, all right? Man, it is good to see you, and I'm so glad you're here. If you've got your Bibles, take them and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I am uh, excited about what God has been doing in our lives over the last few weeks through our prayer and fasting and our revival, and excited about what God is going to continue to do in your life as well. I want to tell you, next week we'll begin a brand new uh, series for the next three weeks. And that series is, uh, you know, last week we had a prayer for miracles and healing. I want to talk to you the next three weeks about what, what are miracles? What are the different types of miracles God does? And when he moves and sometimes and when he doesn't move, well, what's the purpose of all the miracles and have a better understanding of that and how to completely put your trust and faith in um, the God who has all power to meet every need that you have. So that'll begin next week and I hope you'll be a part of that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting at verse 8, it is a book that is written by um, a man who was the wisest man on the face of the earth. And the reason I say that is when you Listen to these words and read these words in just a moment. It's not going to sound like it. It's going to sound very confusing from someone who is confident, from someone who has a great relationship with God, to someone who is the wisest person on the face of the earth. In verse 8, it says, everything is meaningless. How many is glad to come to church and hear that today, right? <laughs> everything is meaningless, says the teacher completely meaningless. Keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise, and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like nail-studded stick, which a shepherd drives the sheep. But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful for writing books is endless, and much study wears you out. That's the whole story. Now here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. And God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your presence in this place and what you're doing already. And I thank you for what you're about to do through the listening and the teaching and the preaching of your word. I pray that you would anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth and anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them so you may accomplish your perfect will. And we will be careful to give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You ever had one of those days where you thought it was gonna be a great day and then it just turned south real fast? where you just wanted to go and get back in bed and just try to do it all over again? Ever had one of those? Ever had one of those days where you thought you were doing so well and it turns out you were just totally making mistakes the whole time? A few years ago, I was uh, doing one of the things I dread to do, which is going to Walmart. So. <laughs> and by the way, God is not at Walmart, right? They, they've, Ichabod has been written over it. The Lord has left this place. But I had to go. And so I was trying to get in a good frame of mind. I don't like it, but I said, I'm going to be in a good mood today. I'm going to go. So I went, I got out of my car, and I'm heading towards the entrance. And I thought, I see this, this um, lady, and she is pushing her shopping cart towards one of the shops. She's going towards one of the shopping cart return areas. And I thought, here's my good deed for the day. 
So she's returning it. I'll, I need a cart. She's taking one back, so I'll just go. So I, I went towards her and kind of sped up a little bit and um, actually almost got to a little brisk jog going towards her. Startled her as I came up to her, and I looked at her and said, hey, how you doing this morning? She said, fine. And I said, hey, I'm going in the store. Don't worry about it. I'll take the cart. She said, what? I said, I'm going in the store. Don't worry about it. I'll take the cart. And she had the strangest look on her face. And in my mind, I thought, oh, nobody's been kind to her recently, you know? So she just kind of gives me the cart. I take the cart. I start walking towards the front door. As I get to the front door, something just sort of tells me to turn around. I turn around. She's not leaving. She's walking towards the front door. She was not returning her cart. She was bringing it inside, and I ran up to her, scared her to death, and stole her cart. I tried to hide myself in Walmart as best I could, but four different times I would turn down an aisle, and there she stood. One time I decided I need to try to make this right, and I said, excuse me, ma'am. Literally, she finally had her own cart at this point, but with God as my witness, she just pushed it and went, and just walked on by. I thought, man, I tried my best to do right, and I totally messed it up. You ever just had one of those days where you just want to go back and get a redo, start over? You know, in sports, when you get one of those opportunities, it's called a comeback. Now, if you're a Falcons fan, I'm not going to go into extensive details about the Patriots and the Falcons. That's too painful. But there is a story of a guy who was an NFL quarterback named Alex Smith. He was a starting quarterback for Washington. And in 2018, on November 18th, 2018, in a a game, he is rolling to his right and someone comes behind him and tackles him from behind. And as they're tackling him, his leg comes like this and their body weight comes right here on his leg. Immediately, one of the most gruesome, gruesome scenes you can see where the, the bone just comes completely apart. But it wasn't just a compound fracture. It wasn't just a, just a straight fracture. It was a twisting took place too. And so it was complete and it was splintered. So instead of just putting it back together, they had to piece it back together with metal plates. So he had surgery to do that. But over the next few days, he wasn't getting better. He was getting worse. Everything in his body started getting worse. And they found out that he had developed an infection and that that infection was not just there anymore. It, got in, it had gotten into his bloodstream and now sepsis was going through his entire body. And because of sepsis, they, weren't afraid, they were afraid he was not going to make it at all. He was going to die because of a broken leg. They finally realized that they got the sepsis under control and they realized that, that they may have to amputate the leg. So for several days, they just didn't know, can we do this? Because they got the, they got the sepsis under control, but there was a necrosis that was taking place. So the flesh was literally being eaten away in this place. They finally decided, we think we can save it. They brought in, literally brought in the military surgeons for combat wounds. They brought them in and they were able to take all of the, take all of the, I'm sorry, this is gross. Take all of the dead flesh, scrape the bone. But when they did that, there was no muscle left. And so over the next nine months and 17 surgeries, they had to take muscles from different parts of his body and recreate a leg that still looks gruesome. Over the next two years, he began to rehab. And in the rehab, 
They said, these are the goals. We want you to be able to walk again and possibly be able to run with your children again, but you'll never play football. Two years later, after extensive rehab and getting cleared medically, he became the backup quarterback for Washington again. The starting quarterback was injured in a game. He came in and subbed for just a few, uh, few plays. The next game, he went back to being backup. And then two games later, the starting quarterback got hurt again. He came in, had an unbelievable game, and became the starting quarterback and led Washington to the Eastern Division title and to the playoffs for the first time in five years. He was named, with the exception of one ballot, unanimous comeback player of the year. What he wanted was for one more chance, one more try, the ability to go back and give it one more try. When we read the passage this morning from Ecclesiastes, it's from a man named Solomon. He was king of Israel. He ruled, his father's King David, he ruled in the era of the greatest expansion of Israel's history. Their territory was larger. They had more influence in the world. They had more wealth than they've ever had. And Solomon is ruling. Solomon started his kingship with his father David giving him advice. God chose Solomon to be the one to build the temple for the people to come and worship him. As a matter of fact, it was such a holy moment that when he was dedicating the temple, Solomon has a moment with God where he prays to God this prayer. He says, God, let your presence be in this place. Let your presence be so real in this place that when your people, if they ever begin to drift away from you, if they ever begin to serve somebody else, if they ever begin to wander away from you, let them pray in this place and toward this place. And Lord, when they do, turn your ear towards your people. And God responded to him a passage that you often hear when you talk about prayer. God's response to his prayer was this. I hear you. And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. That great promise happens at the beginning of Solomon's kingship. How do you start there and you get to Ecclesiastes where he says, everything is meaningless. The literal translation is, everything under the sun is meaningless. How do you go from that to here? The Bible actually tells us that. In 1 Kings chapter 10, it will not be on the screen because I want you to listen as I read it to you. In verse 23, it begins to describe how great the kingdom was. It says, so King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on earth. People from every nation came to consult him, to hear the wisdom God had given him. Year after year, everyone who visited him brought him gifts of silver and gold and weapons and clothing and spices and horses and chariots. 
Solomon built up a huge force of chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses. He stationed some of them in the chariot cities and some near him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as plentiful in Jerusalem as stone. And valuable cedar timber was as common as the sycamore fig trees that grew in the foothills of Judah. The greatness of his kingdom expanded to such an extent that everyone recognized him as the favorite of God and the leader that they would like. Everything that I just read to you, everything, is the standards by which a king would be measured. And then chapter 11 takes a turn. It says now, some translations say, nevertheless, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. God's not being racist, not being xenophobic. He's saying, not about any of that. It's about they will turn your heart away from me. Notice this. Yet, in spite of that, Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines. That would be wives that don't have royal birth. Can we just pause for a minute? <laughs> a thousand wives. I don't know how the wisest man on the face of the earth doesn't realize that's a thousand set of in-laws, but <laughs> maybe hindsight's 2020, you know? This phrase, and in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of com being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. David made colossal mistakes but his heart was always toward God. Solomon worshiped Ashtoreth, the god of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. In verse 10, he had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. In both of those passages, here is a man who has everything you could ever want under the sun. Everything the world has to offer, he's got it. He had more wealth than anybody else. He had more power than anyone else. He had more influence than anyone else. He had more wisdom than anyone else. 
He had more love than anyone else. He had the best food, the best drink, the best wine. Anything you want, he had the best of it. So here's what he's saying. Everything under the sun, he said, I've had it. What is the blank in your life that you say, if I just had blank, I'd be happy? What is it in your life that would fill in that place that you say, if I had that, I would be happy? Because Solomon is saying, I've had everything you could ever wish for, and I'm telling you, everything under the sun is empty and void and meaningless if it's outside of the relationship with God. So at the end of Ecclesiastes, he says, listen to a man who is old in age, who's made the mistakes, who knew better, and has come back to God. He said, if I could tell you anything, I'd tell you these things. In two verses, three things. The first one is this, is that you ought to remember you were made to worship God. It's your highest calling. That's what you were made to do. Yes. Yes, you may be a business person. Yes, you may be in academia. Yes, you may have a calling in ministry. That is not your highest calling or purpose. You were made to worship God. He says this in verse 13. It's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Fearing in that sense means to reverence, to bow down, and to worship. The, the, the English word we have, worship, comes from the old English word, worship. It means when you consider how worthy something is, that you give honor and you give praise because of it. To remember that the God of all the universe the one who spoke the world into existence, the one that knit you together in your mother's womb is not arbitrary and he's not out there acting like he doesn't care about you. He loves you so much he wants a relationship with you. And he knew because of sin, you couldn't have that relationship. You couldn't be right. You couldn't be holy without his help. And so he sent his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to live in a way that we could never live sinless and to die in a way that we could never die, meaning pay the price for our sins so that we might have a relationship with God. That's how much God loves you. And Solomon's saying, I don't care what you do on the face of this earth. I'm telling you, God made you to have a relationship relationship with him and anything below that is subpar and unworthy of your calling. You were made to worship God more than anything else. The second thing he says is this, is you were called to live by a different standard. You were called to live by a different standard. Again, verse 13 but notice the emphasis. Fear God, obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Solomon got in trouble when he started trying to live by the world standards. Do you know why Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth? Because in order to increase your influence without having to go to war, which Solomon rarely did, you took political alliances from tribes and kingdoms 
And you begin to marry into their families and you would have this alignment that would come together. And so by doing so, as you increased the amount of wives of royal birth, you increased your power and your influence in the world. This is the way that kings judged other kings. How many horses do you have? How many chariots do you have? How much gold is there? How much silver is there? How many wives of royal birth do you have? How many are in your concubine? How, this is the way that kings judged each other. And at some point he decided, I know what God told me, but I would rather try to impress the world than I would to obey God. And man, you get in trouble when you go there. Because Solomon says, if I could go back, I would never do that. I would never do it because it turned my heart away from the relationship God created for me. You were called to live by a different standard. The same Jesus that said, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but also have an everlasting life. The same Jesus said, that's how much I love you. That's how much God loved you. He said this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He said, the obedience that you have will come from the outflow of the love. What he's saying is this, it's hard to love him in right relationship if you're being disobedient to him. The world will always give you a standard that tells you that you can get meaning and you can get purpose and you can have abundance. And Solomon says, listen to me, I've had everything under the sun and all of it, all of it will leave you short of what you were created for. The third thing he says is this, is you were made to live forever. Notice what he says in verse 14. And God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. The word judge there means to rightly decide. That the God of all knowledge and wisdom, the God of all grace and truth and righteousness and holiness, who knows everything you do and knows every motive that you have, is the only one who will rightly decide your future. And he gives you a say in it. Because the reality is, is that death is just a doorway to either eternal life or eternal punishment. And if you're uncomfortable with me telling you that, I'm just telling you what the Bible says is true. But God gives us the ability to recognize the moments where we are drifting away from him and come back to the place of right relationship with him. Solomon does it. Solomon remembers the prayer that he prayed on behalf of the people. What he didn't realize was he was praying it on his behalf years later. And that God would say to him, if you call on my name, humble yourself and pray, and turn from your wicked ways. I will, heal, I will hear from heaven and I'll heal you. The same promise to the people is the promise to Solomon. 
Jesus tells almost the identical story, but he tells it in the form of a parable in Luke 15. It is the parable of what is called the prodigal or the lost son. Jesus said there's a man who has two sons. One of them decides that he doesn't want to live there anymore. He doesn't want to live under the father's rules anymore. And so he goes to his father and says, Father, I want to leave and I want my inheritance right now. I mean, the man's still living. I want what's coming to me when you're dead. I want it now. Essentially, you're better off. I'm better off if you're dead than right now. The father gives it to him. The Bible says that he goes off and he wastes his life and his money on riotous living. And then the money runs out. The Bible says, as Jesus tells this parable, that this man finds himself in a place that he never thought he'd be, doing what he never thought he would have to do. He's working for someone, raising pigs. To the Jewish people, pigs are absolutely off limits and disgusting. And he's feeding them. So hungry that Jesus says, he's even considering eating the food that the pigs Then the Bible says that he came to his senses and he said, even the servants in my father's house have plenty to eat. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm going to say, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore, but just make me one of your servants. I just want to be in your house again. And as he comes home and rehearses that speech, the Bible says the father looks out and sees him from afar off. And when he sees him, he runs toward his son, holds him in his arms. And the son says, father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I just want to be like one of your servants. And the father says, nonsense. He looks at his real servants. He says, here's what I want you to do. Grow, go grab a robe and put it on him. Go get some sandals and put it on his feet. Go get the signet ring that signifies that you're a part of this family once again. That's what I want you to do. And he says, I want you to go and find the fattest cow you can find. Slaughter it. Let's have a celebration. Because this son who was lost and dead is now found and alive. Jesus said, this is how the Father thinks of you. When you turn away from the drifting that you have done and you come home to him. Jesus actually says, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels when one comes. It doesn't say the angels are rejoicing. Rejoicing in the presence of angels. I believe it's Jesus himself rejoicing to say the price was worth it because one has come home. And I want you to hear me. If you've never known Jesus as your Lord and Savior, never yielded your life, today's your day. If you've drifted, I want you to hear me. It doesn't matter how big a mistake you think you made. It doesn't matter how colossal of a failure you think it was. You are never too far for God's hand to reach you. 
You are never too far when you turn back to him, to God, to see you from afar off and run to embrace you and say nonsense. Welcome home, son, daughter. And if that's you, don't you listen to the lies of the enemy today that tells you that what you've done can't be forgiven because the cross was enough. Every sin, every shame that you've ever had including right now, is covered by the blood of Jesus. And the Father saying, come home. Come home. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're in this place and you don't know that Jesus is definitely Lord and Savior of your life, if when you came in, you're not sure of that, or you know things weren't right between you and the Lord. You just simply need to pray something like this. Lord, I thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for the sacrifice that was made on my behalf. Thank you for Jesus and what he's done. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he's the Lord and savior of my life. Now I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from the way that I used to live. I yield now to you. I make you Lord of my life. Lead me through your word and your spirit, and I'll never be the same. Everyone would just pray this prayer profession with me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you know when you came in here, things weren't right between you and the Lord, but you say, I'm making a decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time. I'm not here to embarrass you, call you out. I want to pray for you this week. But if that's you, I want you to be bold right now. Just raise your hand. Say, that's me. I'm coming home. Come on, high, bring them up high. Keep them up for just a second. Yep, I'm coming home. Coming home. Coming home. Coming home. Amen. All right, you can put them down. Father, we thank you. We thank you for lives that have been changed. We thank you for hope that has been restored. I pray that as they leave here, the weight of sin that has been on their hearts and their minds would be lifted now in the name of Jesus. And they would have joy unspeakable. Your word says, full of glory. I also ask that as they do this and they make this step, Lord, that you empower them with purpose and with life and with destiny. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide them every step of their lives. I pray that as they leave this place, they would leave here with confidence and boldness that they're a child of God, a son or a daughter of the King. I pray that you would remind every single one of us of what you've done for each of us, the price that you paid and the relationship that we have because of Jesus. And I pray that hope would just rise up in every single one of us as we remember what Christ has done is completely enough. Lord, I speak against the lies of the enemy. We don't try to speak into our hearts tomorrow, try to convince us that nothing's changed. We use that as confirmation to know that everything has changed by the blood of Jesus. And so God, in the name of Jesus, seal them now for your purpose, your destiny, and your glory. And we'll give you praise for it in Christ's holy name. Amen. And amen. Come on, give the Lord praise for eight people that gave their hearts to Jesus today. Amen. Amen.
Hey, listen, if you made that decision today or in the last few weeks, we'd love to help you get started on this journey. At the end of service, some of our grow team will be right down front here. You can make your way to them. Or if you just want some information about how to get plugged in here to discover more about Mount Perrin North or discover your spiritual gifts and your passions, um, we'll talk to you about that. Take about two minutes. Uh, we'd love to be able to talk with you about that as well. Got a couple of great things that are coming up uh, both today and in the next few weeks. And Pastor Jason is coming to give you some information about that. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Yay. Oh, thank you. You're so nice. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, it's Super Sunday here at Mount Perry North. We're so glad that you're here with us today. We got some fun stuff planned out in the atrium. That's the big room directly behind us on the main floor down here. We've got football toss. We've got a photo op out there. Be sure to tag us on social media at MT Perrin North. We want to connect with you that way. But also, wait for it, everybody. We've got a potato chip bar. Yes, a potato chip bar out there. So grab a snack on your way out today. We sure are glad that you're here. And if you're a first, second, or third time visitor with us today, a first, second, or third time guest with us today, we want to connect with you. We want you to grab a connect card from the seat back in front of you, fill that out. And I want you to take that out to the atrium, to the tailgating display and find Pastor Drew Norris. He's our connections pastor. It's like a little scavenger hunt for you. He's wearing a referee's jersey, okay? He's out out of the tailgating area. Give him your connect card because this week we're gonna draw two names from all the cards we connect from the first, second, or third time guest. And we're gonna give away a couple tailgating grills uh, for you just for being our guest and being new at North. We wanna connect with you, so please do that. Also on your way out today, you're going to get one of these little cards. It's an invite to our At The Movie series coming up in March. Got a little information on the back of it. For those of you that are visiting with us today, we'd love to see you come back. For those of you that are home folks, we want you to take one of these as a reminder to invite someone to come back to At The Movies or take it and hand it to somebody as a tool that you can use to invite a guest to Mount Perrin North. This church is growing. This church is alive. This church is exciting. This is the place to be. Help us spread the word of the gospel of what God's doing here at Mount Perrin North. Amen. Hey, keep those hands together. Welcome back, Pastor Kirk, as he closes our service today. Hey, why don't you stand with me? I want to remind you, next week we start a brand new series on miracles. And if you're new here, I want to tell you, at the end of every service, we speak a blessing over you that's contained from Numbers chapter uh, 6. And so here's what I'd like for you to do. Open your hands like you're about to receive something from the Lord, because it says when we speak this blessing over you, we put the name of God on you as you leave. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great day.